Book the Third, Part Seven of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Third, Part Seven. When you woke the next morning at the Lord Quantock Arms Hotel, Somerset felt quite morbid on recalling the intelligence he had received from Mrs. Camperton. But as the day for serious practical consultation about the castle works, to which Paula had playfully alluded, was now close at hand, he determined to banish sentimental reflections on the frailties that were besieging her nature by active preparation for his professional undertaking. To be her high priest in art, to elaborate a structure whose cunning workmanship would be meeting her eye every day till the end of her natural life, and saying to her, he invented it, with all the eloquence of an inanimate thing long regarded, this was no mean satisfaction, come what else would. He returned to town the next day to set matters there in such trim that no inconvenience should result from his prolonged absence at the castle. For, having no other commission, he determined, with an eye rather to heart interests than to increase his professional practice, to make, as before, the castle itself his office, studio, and chief abiding place till the works were fairly in progress. On the 10th he reappeared at Markton. Passing through the town on the road to Stancy Castle, his eyes were again arrested by the notice-board which had conveyed such startling information to him on the night of the ball. The small bills now appeared thereon, but when he anxiously looked them over to learn how the parts were to be allotted, he found that intelligence still withheld. Yet they told enough. The list of lady players was given, and Miss Power's name was won. That a young lady who, six months ago, would scarcely join for conscientious reasons in a simple dance on her own lawn, should now be willing to exhibit herself on a public stage, simulating love passages with a stranger, argued a rate of development which under any circumstances would have surprised him, but which, with the particular addition as leading colleague of Captain de Stancy, inflamed him almost to anger. What clandestine arrangements had been going on in his absence to produce such a full-blown intention, it were futile to guess. Paula's course was a race rather than a march, and each successive heat was startling in its eclipse of that which went before. Somerset was, however, introspective enough to know that his morals would have taken no such virtuous alarm had he been the chief male player instead of Captain de Stancy. He passed under the castle arch and entered. There seemed a little turn in the tide of affairs when it was announced to him that Miss Power expected him and was alone. The well-known antechambers through which he walked, filled with twilight, draughts and thin echoes that seemed to reverberate from two hundred years ago, did not delay his eye as they had done when he had been ignorant that his destiny lay beyond, and he followed on through all this ancientness to where the modern Napola sat to receive him. He forgot everything in the pleasure of being alone in a room with her. She met his eye with that in her own which cheered him. It was a light expressing that something was understood between them. She said quietly in two or three words that she had expected him in the forenoon. Somerset explained that he had come only that morning from London. After a little more talk, in which she said that her aunt would join them in a few minutes, and Mr. Stancy was still indisposed at her father's house, she rang for tea and sat down beside a little table. Shall we proceed to business at once? 
she asked him. I suppose so. First then, when will the working drawings be ready, which I think you said must be made out before the work could begin? While Somerset informed her on this and other matters, Mrs Goodman entered and joined in the discussion, after which they found it would be necessary to adjourn to the room where the plans were hanging. On their walk thither, Paula asked if he stayed late at the ball. I left soon after you. That was very early, seeing how late you arrived. Yes, I did not dance. What did you do then? I moped and walked to the door and saw an announcement. I know, the play that is to be performed. In which you are to be the princess. That's not settled. I have not agreed yet. I shall not play the Princess of France unless Mr. Mild plays the King of Navarre. This sounded rather well. The Princess was the lady beloved by the King, and Mr. Mild, the young lieutenant of artillery, was a diffident, inexperienced, rather plain-looking fellow, whose sole interest in theatricals lay in the consideration of his costume and the sound of his own voice in the ears of the audience. With such an unobjectionable person to enact the part of lover, the prominent character of leading young lady or heroine, which Paula was to impersonate, was really the most satisfactory in the whole list for her. For although she was to be wooed hard, there was just as much love-making among the remaining personages, while, as some sort had understood the play, there could occur no flingings of her person upon her lover's neck, or agonised downfalls upon the stage in her whole performance, as there were in the parts chosen by Mrs Camperton, the mayor's wife, and some of the other ladies. Why do you play at all? he murmured. What a question! How could I refuse for such an excellent purpose? They say that my taking a part will be worth a hundred pounds to the charity. My father always supported the hospital, which is quite undenominational, and he said I was to do the same. Do you think the peculiar means you have adopted for supporting it entered into his view? inquired Somerset, regarding her with critical dryness. For my part, I don't. It is an interesting way, she returned persuasively, though apparently in a state of mental equipoise on the point raised by his question. And I shall not play the princess, as I said, to any other than that quiet young man. Now I assure you of this, so don't be angry and absurd. Besides, the king doesn't marry me at the end of the play, as in Shakespeare's other comedies. And if Mr. Stancy continues seriously unwell, I shall not play at all. The young man pressed her hand, but she gently slipped it away. Are we not engaged, Paula? he asked. She evasively shook her head. Come, yes we are. Shall we tell your aunt? he continued. Unluckily, at that moment, Mrs. Goodman, who had followed them to the studio at a slower pace, appeared round the doorway. No, to the last, replied Paula hastily. Then her aunt entered, and the conversation was no longer personal. Somerset took his departure in a serener mood, though not completely assured. End of Book the Third, Part Seven